Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Phantom Podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. Jim, we are back at it again for yet another installment of this podcast we love to do so much. How are you doing today, buddy? These are facts. I'm pretty good uh, at the risk of sort of like dating this. Um, we're recording this the uh, the day after the midterms, and um, while it's not necessarily a decisive victory for those of us on the right side of history, it's hardly <laughs> the red wave predicted by the election-denying, COVID-denying, insurrectionist-supporting non-truthers on the other side. So right. um, as of right now, control of both the House and the Senate is up in the air, probably be decided later. So hopefully by the time you hear this, uh, we'll know whether we're on a slow slide toward fascism or whether the people who assume everyone deserves human rights are going to come out on the top so uh we'll see we'll definitely yeah. see how you and not not that we're telling you how to vote or how to live your life but uh i mean no no it's it's kind of alarming history these days uh uh yeah. you know i'm doing okay uh i'm a little tired i'm a little uh yeah frazzled this week it seems like the week we're trying to get caught up and get ahead and just everything is just punching down at me it's like ah, i'm trying really hard to stay positive so uh yeah, microwave is in gatorade or something i don't know what's going on but there's just been something in the air for a while that's just making it seem like even making the to-do list of all the shit you have to do is a daunting prospect <laughs> and you know i was telling you before we started recording here that uh, I should stay off of the old Googler and, and stop trying to Google symptoms of things because we've all seen those uh, those memes of people going on WebMD and, oh, my God, it's cancer. Um, mm -hmm. But, I mean, I've had enough medical shit go on recently in the last, I'd say, four months to kind of make someone scratch their head and kind of wonder. What the actual fuck? And so, you know, and since I've gone through all these different arrays of tests, I'm fine right now, by the way. This isn't me bitching. Uh, about anything new in particular, it's just a matter. In another of... edition of old man bitching about their health problems here on the Future <laughs> Fan Podcast. It's a popular segment. <laughs> You're right. It's not that. It's not that. It's just. It's. Uh, there's been a lot of news articles recently about, and in particular, uh, uh, one of my old uh, celebrity crushes from way back in the day, and I'm sure she was a lot of y'all's celebrity crush too. Uh, Kelly Bundy herself, Christina Applegate, has yep. come out and said that uh, she has a, an MS diagnosis and what that's meaning for her and how she's uh, dealing with that news and things like that. And so just on the uh, uh, on a lark almost, uh, I, I started looking up uh, MS symptoms because, I mean, I might as well at this point know what the hell I'm talking about. And... One of those things, it's like I said, you go on WebMD and you just decide, oh my god, I've got cancer. It's like, well, shit, I, I match like, out of 15 predictors, they, I say I've matched eight. Holy shit. Which is more than a few, yeah. uh, which is a little bit troublesome. So that is, of course, going to go on the list of things I'm going to tell my doc to test me for. So, um... Again, I, it's not that I'm looking to find anything in particular. It's just I want to find something, something I can pin it on. So, I mean, if you go in for enough rounds of medical tests and they, they, they can't dig up what it is via process of elimination, then it's kind of incumbent upon you as a 
self-patient care advocate to try and uh, do what you can to help them because, you know, they only know what they can read through tests and observation, but you live in there, so you've got, (laughs) uh, if not the medical training, at least a better perspective on what your actual afflictions are. Yeah, one of the biggest things that that worried me, uh, one of the biggest symptoms is, now with uh, diabetes, they have a thing called diabetic retinopathy, which is uh, Mm -hmm. a, a degradation of the blood vessels in the eyes. And uh, I've got a little bit of that going on. And that's actually how they diagnosed me with diabetes in the first place, is I went in for an eye exam, and they looked at my eyes, and they saw the retinopathy, and they're like, um, do you have diabetes? And I'm like, I don't know, do I have, I don't think so. And yeah, sure enough. And so um, another aspect of uh, uh, not retinopathy, but uh, I'm trying to think of the word for it. Uh, vascular degeneration there's a, there's another word that they use but basically um in your extremities your uh they could start going numb oh neuropathy neuropathy that's the word i got just the tiniest little bit of that in my feet uh yeah. <clears throat> you know which is again terrifying but i'm doing everything i can through diet and medication to kind of beat that back and it seems to have at least uh if not gotten better at reverse course somewhat stalled out but you know, there are times when, uh, like, if I'm clipping a toenail or something, and I feel like I'm just kind of, you know how you, how if you sit on your legs too long, your feet start to get the pins and needles, yeah. they yeah. fall asleep kind of thing. Um, you know, the full-fledged, you get up and you walk around and you go, oh, you get that white static thing in your feet going on. I've got about a low-grade 10% of that going on all the time. So yeah. it's something I'm very conscious of. It affected my dad, uh, who was also diabetic, so uh, it's one of those things that I'm keeping an eye on and doing my best to mitigate through, uh, through the, all the things they recommend. Right, and that's the same thing here. Is is uh, I've had this kind of numbness in my, uh, particularly my left foot. My left foot. Uh, but both feet in general, and it's something I've been really wary about, and I've been trying to take care of. And my blood sugars have gone down in a great degree. Uh, my mm-hmm. my diabetic nurse is actually really pleased with my progress. Uh, however, that's something that has not gotten better. Uh, I don't know that it's gotten worse, but it feels uh, it feels like my leg is heavy, if that makes any kind of sense. Uh, and and so I, especially when I was weak from uh, not having eaten for two three weeks at a time and having like yeah. that, I'd, I'd started walking with a cane. And I know that's shocking for some people, but you know it's just a fact of nature. At one point or another is is i needed help moving around not necessarily because you know my leg was dead or anything it was just a matter of balance i didn't have very good balance and so that's one of the symptoms that i was reading about was heavy leg and that kind of uh raised the exclamation point above my head going "Uh uh-oh and so that's something i'm going to be talking to the doctor about like i said nothing that's really directly affecting me now it's more just the fact of the matter is i need to know and like you said, if I'm going to have to be my own advocate for this kind of thing, I'm going to have to go out and dictate what tests are going to be done now from the, going forward because anything that they've tested me for has come back negative. So, Yeah, to a certain degree, I sort of rail against the, uh, the thing that other people from other countries look at America and go, well, that's fucking weird in terms of pharmaceutical advertising when you, know, you get this... Uh, Sotto voce list of side effects uh, <laughs> could include uh, head explosions or vascular leakage or death has happened. You know, that's the kind of thing that, but the thing that they always say is ask your doctor if flibbity-wibbit is right for you. <laughs> and uh, 
you know, I always thought, well, maybe I should trust the medical professionals to determine what the actual medications are that I need. And just because I saw an ad doesn't mean I'm going to walk in and go, uh, uh, hey, doctor, is Shoshoyo right for me? And he's like, well, no, that's for pregnant women who have breast cancer, so probably not. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's gotten nuts. But at the same time, yeah, you do have to at some point at least participate and pay attention in your own healthcare decisions because there's a reason why they call it a medical practice. Yeah. You know, I don't get a whole lot of commercials just because uh, I cord cut and I don't watch anything live TV. Yeah. So, like, I think on Paramount I get some commercials and, and occasionally on Hulu I think I get commercials because I don't pay for the ad-free versions. But my favorite thing is, is when they do those ads, the, the, the list of, of side effects and whatnot. Uh, my favorite one of those is don't take flibbity-gibbet if you're allergic to flibbity-gibbet. Yeah. It's like, well, no shit. You fucking donut! Do people need to be told this? Yeah. It's like, I mean, I mean, okay, I'm lactose intolerant and I enjoy ice cream every now and again. Okay, maybe that's analogous <laughs> somehow, but... What are you? An idiot sandwich. Like, don't take head-exploding pills if you're allergic to your head-exploding. I mean, I don't understand it. I, I don't get it, but... Yeah, I don't need it. And also, how am I supposed to know... If I'm allergic to a patent medication that was just approved by the FDA six months ago, if I don't know everything that's in it, and at the risk of sounding like an anti-vaxxer, it's like, I'm not taking it, I don't know what's in it. I don't know if I'm allergic to it or not, how am I supposed to know? Right. It's 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 uh, an interesting thing. And if I take it and my throat closes, I guess I'll know, but then at that point it's too late and i got to drive my happy ass to the ER and get an EpiPen. So what do you do? Well, side effects may include... Or, or what's worse is like sometimes when the side effects, the list of side effects is like worse than the shit you have. Yeah. Who was it that was talking about that the 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 cure is worse than the illness? I mean, it's some of these like uh, like antidepressant medications and shit like that. Uh, the list of side effects includes depression and suicidal thoughts and ideation. Well, why and the fuck am I taking the pill like... to begin with if I don't already have those things? <laughs> Or, right. or the, the, what I love is the the, uh, the fact that the lawyers have apparently negotiated this shit in the ad copy, and I'm particularly sensitive to ad copy because I write it for a living, to be able to say things like, colon cancer has happened. Not to say there's any relation between our medication and that, you know, but it just that it's happened. Well, yeah, it does happen, but if I take this, is my asshole going to fall out? I mean, I, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know. I guess it depends on, on, on you judging for yourself whether... One of my, okay, one of my favorite... Uh, um, personal anecdotes on this is there was a um, uh, a medication that was out about 15 years ago. I don't remember the name of it, but Brooke Shields was in the ad, and it was very clear that much like Viagra, which was originally researched as a blood pressure medication, but everybody in the testing went, uh, I have a side effect, and then they realized they had a gold mine on their hands. This stuff was marketed for something else, but they, as a side effect, they realized, hey, it makes everybody's eyelashes grow nice and long and lush. So they were able to market this stuff as something that you could use as a, a medication to make your eyelashes grow thicker and longer so you could avoid having to put on false eyelashes or use mascara or whatever. And the side effects were it could cause permanent eye color change or blindness. And I thought to myself, shit. So I'm sitting oh, on the Jesus. couch with a friend of mine watching this TV show and this ad comes on and I'm like, um, you know, how vain do you have to be to, to to use a medication that could give you thicker, longer eyelashes, but could also possibly result in blindness? And I felt kind of bad because she went, well, I guess at least this vain because I take that shit. And then I realized, well, <laughs> at the same time, maybe I shouldn't really say anything because 
Uh, my beard started to go gray when I was in my mid-30s, and I've been buying over-the-counter Walgreens box dye to make sure I don't look like I'm 80 years old since then. And uh, for a good maybe 24 hours after I use that shit on a weekly basis, my skin itches a little bit. So I suppose we all are willing to make certain sacrifices for vanity, and I really shouldn't say anything. But, I don't know, blindness is a little bit more serious than potential skin irritation, I think. But maybe that's just me making a rationalized justification uh, based on the choices I make for my own personal appearance in healthcare. I mean, maybe. I haven't gotten to the point of dyeing my beard yet, but uh, there's well, definitely enough gray in there to, to warrant it. Yours works for you. I just, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just, the reason I started doing it was because I was working at an advertising agency and we decided we we're going to take like group pictures to put on the website so any potential clients could breeze by and go, oh, those are the folks going to be working on my ads. And at the time, everybody was so concerned about, oh, we need to work on the millennial market. Millennials are our spending demographic. And so I didn't want anybody who was trying to market to a millennial demographic to come to the website and look, oh, they're a senior copywriter. The guy responsible ostensibly for crafting all of their messaging and ideation is a guy who looks like he's about 90 years old with that big-ass gray Santa beard. So uh, maybe uh, we should <laughs> go with a different agency. So senior the copywriter. The, yeah, senior. Senior Emphasis copywriter. on senior. So the... The idea that I had was I'll just go to, to get a box of the, uh, the Just for Men stuff and I'll put it in there and I'll try it out. And I did, and it took about 10 years off my face. And I thought, huh, well, that'll work for the group pictures. But then, of course, what they don't tell you on the box is, hey, your beard grows faster than your hair, so you're going to have Gray Wolfman Jack roots hanging out in about a week and you got to redo it again. Ha-ha, fuck you, guess what? You're hooked now. You're a customer for life. Or at least until you decide you want to age gracefully. And it's been about 10 years and I'm still on the, nope, I'm not going to age gracefully bus. So I buy two boxes of that shit a month and uh, it's about 15 bucks. And uh, yeah, once a week I'm in the mirror with a tiny little brush, mixing up a little tray full of activator and color base and, and darkening my facial hair because I just don't want to look like I'm 90 years old yet. <sighs> See, I've only ever dyed, I dyed my hair once uh, back in, when I had long, luxurious locks. Which uh, was a long time ago now. Um, I had gone, and in fact, I think you knew me when I had long hair at one point. But, Possibly, um, yeah. I think I may have seen some very early photos when we first started working on uh, on perverted justice, where your your avatars on the uh, on the message boards uh, were definitely commensurate yeah. with your 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 role as a, a a rock musician at the time, and even now, obviously. But it was the it, wearing an onion on your belt, which was the style at the time, was definitely. You know, same with uh, with long, flowing, luxurious locks. It's true. But uh, at one point when I was uh, deeply entrenched in the SCA, I decided uh, for whatever reason that I was going to dye. And uh, my hair is usually uh, lighter brown, uh, blonde, dirty blonde, light brown. And so I decided at one point I was going to dye it black. Uh, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. Um, but I did. I dyed my hair black. And it was jet black for... I want to say a few months and then it was just annoying enough to where it was like all right this looks bad this looks dumb i'm gonna dye it back and so i took and i i tried to bleach it out but what they don't tell you is when you bleach dyed hair when you already have your normal hair showing the roots coming out uh you're gonna end up with two-tone shit yeah so i ended up having two-tone hair color at that point it was like really blonde in one part and really really like Ronald McDonald Wendy's orange in the other part. And I couldn't get it all done in the same sitting. I had to do it in two days. And so I had to go to work. I was working at McDonald's at the time. And, and I ended up going into McDonald's wearing a hat over my long hair. And people were like, why are you wearing a hat? And I'm like, well, I kind of have to. 
and I was the laughing stock of everyone for a few minutes. So I don't dye my hair since then. So uh, I do want to make an apology here for anyone hearing this extra background noise. Uh, I live across the street from an, uh, a middle school, uh, my daughter's middle school. And uh, their maintenance people are out using leaf blowers, trying to get rid of the uh, tree detrius uh, from the last winter or the storm we just had. So, uh, if you hear a little extra noise, that's what that is. And I apologize. I'll remove as much of it as I can, but I know it's going to be there. So, anyways, ah, uh, the realities of having these sensitive unidirectional microphones. We don't have to sit there and choke on an SM58 the entire show. <laughs> Right, it's either that or, or, yeah, like you said, I have to have a microphone in my face, and I'd rather not do that, so. I mean, you and I work with microphones on several different levels, both doing this podcast and also singing in our bands, and uh, a lot of, you know, maybe if you if you aren't somebody who deals with microphones on a uh, a weekly basis, it's the, the, the differences between a omnidirectional and cardioid microphone are, are a little bit uh, beyond what you necessarily need to know in your day-to-day life, but... You know, using the right tool for the job is not a foreign concept to uh, to any position or hobby. So that's kind of where we're at with it. Yep. It'll be what it'll be. C'est la vie. Now, before we get into our news segments here, uh, I wanted to remind everybody that this episode of the Fuel Your Phantom podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Exter. Exter. E-K-S-T-E-R dot com. Exter dot com. Uh, they are uh, sponsors now of the Fuel Your Fandom podcast, and I couldn't be happier. Jim, I switched over uh, after we talked last week. I switched over to the other wallet that they'd sent. Now, the other wallet that they sent us was called the Senate, uh, which is ironic given the, the midterm elections, but uh, the Parliament and then the Senate. So the yeah. Senate wallet is, is more of just a, a cardholder thing. It's, and we we talked about how the parliament forced you to make choices and you know to be real selective about what you carry. Well, this is basically that towards the nth degree. It's like you basically have what you could fit in the card holder, and that's about it. It's got the little uh, elastic band that you can put on it that has like one more slot, but I've been using that slot for their tracker chip, uh, the tracker card. So it really is down to. The six items, your six everyday carry items. And I thought, again, what like we talked about, when you slim down, you think something's going to hinder you. Like, it's going to be like, uh, I need more than this. But no, it's been great. And in fact, it, it's, I can hardly feel that it's in my pocket at all. Unless I'm looking for it. It, it is so lightweight and so wonderfully crafted that, and I still get the compliments on it. I got a compliment at Winco yesterday. I went and stopped and got some lunch on the way to work and uh, flipped that button and popped those cards up. And the guy at the counter is like, that's really cool. I'm like, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's it's a beautiful thing. And, and it's wrapped in this the wonderful leather that you, we talked about. I got this one in the blue. And uh, it's it's been it's been fantastic. I've enjoyed it, every second of it. Yeah, I don't uh, think there's a time uh, when I pull this thing out of my pocket and hit that button and those cards go, and they just fan out like a series of steps to something really cool you want to get to, like a museum or movie theater. And everybody always comments on it. Well, that's cool, because it just has this really neat, gadgety effect to it. You just push that button, and boom, those things fan right out, and uh, just enough so you can see which card is which, but not enough to reveal any information to anybody outside. And, and right. um, 
you know the uh, oh, and I think we forgot to mention last time the uh, the the chamber in which these cards are held that phew, they flip out like a like a switchblade when you push that button is also RFID shielded so uh, nobody's mm-hmm. going to be stealing your chip information anytime soon um, but yeah it's just it's one of those things you get compliments on it looks great it feels great it works exactly the way it's supposed to um, you can feel the second it's in your hand that it's built to last a lifetime I'm still rocking the Parliament because. Um, I have had occasion recently, uh, especially to be able to, um, to to pull out cards. I, I carry business cards for both my sort of uh, low grade side hustle freelance copywriting. I have a full time copywriting job, but I also take on freelance clients. I keep a couple of cards for that, and I also have some business cards for my band. And those are snuggled up in the uh, the, the the card, not the credit card uh, uh, chamber, the the wallet, but the the little flap on the opposite side of the bifold. And those are nestled up next to my AAA card in case my car breaks down and my driver's license. <laughs> so I have a total of twelve cards in my wallet: six credit cards, two business cards for the copywriting thing, two business cards for the band thing, my driver's license, and my AAA card. And I'm no longer. Uh, getting my chiropractor mad at me by sitting on a big fat ass suitcase sized dad wallet and that's thanks yeah. to the fine folks at that's Excel. probably the best thing this thing it, it fits so comfortably in my front pocket like i said I, I freaking hardly know it's there and it's just it's wonderful and it's like that very satisfying little click yeah boom and it just pops right out and i keep i actually keep my uh my id card in there so it's like really this is this is all i need yeah right here Pretty handy. And it is all you need. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And, and of course, as we said last time, uh, the fine folks at Exter are having their uh, Black Friday sale. I believe it's still going on at the time of this uh, release. So head on over to Exter.com, E-K-S-T-E-R.com. Uh, pick out which wallet you like. They've got so much to look at. There's so much cool stuff. And, and the idea behind it is you put in the code FANDOM at checkout. And it'll save you an extra 10% off the top, which is fantastic. And now, I told you this, and I haven't announced this on the program at all yet, but I wanted to make this kind of known. We have decided that we don't need money for this show. We we, we run on a pretty slim budget. And the idea is, while yes, ostensibly, uh, with this partnership there is the opportunity, if our code gets used enough times, to, uh, to profit from this. Uh, to make this a profitable endeavor. Uh, me and Jim have both decided that's not something that we need or want or desire. So every dollar that we make from our partnership with Extra Wallets, we are going to be turning around and putting directly into the Feel Your Future uh, charity for children uh, to put comic books in the hands of the kids who sorely need them. And so I know this is a first. We're announcing this here, but uh, there you go. A news. So you you. You supporting extra wallets supports the Feel Your Future charity as well, which I couldn't be more excited about. So Yeah, it's a win win. You save ten percent and the kids get some comics and everybody at the end of the day is just overjoyed and happy. And you get a kick ass wallet at the same time. Seriously. So, High tech, RFID, smooth buttery leather, and your chiropractor will thank you for not sitting on the lumpy fat dad wallet anymore. Mine does. Which will be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, my backside's much more appreciative these days. So, But like I said, head on over to extra.com, E-K-S-T-E-R.com, and join in with Jim and I in this wonderful uh, new wallet. Now, I get a lot of ads. Uh, since I went on Exter, I get a lot of ads for their competition. 
uh, and cheap knockoffs, from what I can tell. Yeah. Uh, imitators, and and I kind of find it funny because it's like I've got the real thing in my hands, and it's like these just look like pretenders to the throne, and uh, it, it's just they look chunky. They got like big giant rings for your finger to go into to eject cards, and it's like, ugh, it's so unwieldy. Just go with extra, bro. They're the, they're, they got this shit down. They, they, do. they got it down to a science. So, like I said, I, I could wax philosophic on this all day, and I will at some point or another, but I'm a huge fan now of Extra Wallets, uh, and we are proud to have them sponsoring the program. Once again, extra.com and uh, enter code FANDOM at checkout. You'll save an extra 10%. So. With that. Okay. With that being said, do we have some news we wanted to get through. Now, you uh, want to start this one off? Well, just after we finished uh, recording our last episode, I got a piece of news crossing my desk that sort of dovetails with the episode before last, talking about the glut of nerd entertainment that it's difficult to keep up with. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Disney has announced that they're going to be producing a Disney Plus Indiana Jones series. Now, the, the fan of Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones that I am rejoices a little bit in the fact that, hey, we're going to get more Indiana Jones um, to, um, you know, sort of uh, bolster that original trilogy, which was a trilogy, mind you. Let's just get that right. <laughs> Um, but there have been some ancillary Indiana Jones properties. There was the uh, the young Indiana Jones with River Phoenix. No, he played River, uh, Indiana Jones the movie, but the series had a different actor. Um, and we've, uh, you know, we're getting a fifth Indiana Jones movie with the OG original Harrison Ford. Uh, at one point, there was going uh, there was talk of an Indiana Jones reboot starring Chris Pratt, but that seems to fall by the wayside. Um, but Disney Plus is going to be uh, producing a series. Now, like I said, as an Indiana Jones fan, I'm thrilled. I'll probably watch it. But um, as somebody who, again, still feels very passionately about just there's so much, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, boy, it's just one more thing i got to put on my queue and hopefully get to sooner or later. <laughs> so I have mixed feelings about it, but that's one I'll definitely be uh, be prioritizing, if truth be told. Hey, Dr. Jones, no time for love! The young Indiana Jones on the Indiana Jones Chronicles was played by Sean Patrick Flannery. That is correct. One, I remember that. One half, one half of the Boondock Saints, if I'm not mistaken. And if I'm not mistaken, again, the other half of the Boondock Saints was uh, Daryl Dixon himself. Yep, absolutely. And uh, we Norman have a little Reedus. bit of tertiary news about that. Norman yeah. Reedus has uh, gone on to... Uh, his character of Daryl Dixon is going to be involved in a spin-off series. There's several different spin-offs and and, and uh, side projects coming out of The Walking Dead as it ends its 11th season, uh, currently in production seasons. right now. It's 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 the end of it, and uh, so they're doing a couple different spin-off series. One involving Negan and Maggie somehow, and one that was supposed to involve Daryl Dixon and Carol. Uh, Carol dropped out. Uh, I forget the actress's name who plays her. Uh, Melissa McBride. Well, Daryl and Carol uh, sounds, sounds, sounds like a sitcom anyway, so maybe that's for the best. <laughs> right? It's Daryl and Carol. So, do, 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 do. They're having fun with The Walking Dead. It just sounds a little too cutesy for me. but Right. But they, uh, they So Daryl's uh, spinoff is still going ahead. They're going to be moving it to, I guess the location for that is France? Yeah. Paris? I'm not sure how the hell he's going to get to Paris in a post-apocalyptic environment, but... Hope you like spots. Maybe I just need to. <laughs> right. Um, but 
So that's going to happen. That's, that's the thing that's definitely on the list. Speaking of uh, nerd media that we don't have any time for. And more nerd media we have no uh, time for. Uh, they announced recently that the Monster series, which a lot of people refer to the Dahmer series on Netflix, which it's about Jeffrey Dahmer, which, uh, you know, being a, a Wisconsin and ostensibly Milwaukee person myself, uh, haven't seen it yet. But again, it's just one more of those things that's appended to the end of my endless queue. But um, Ryan <laughs> Murphy who is also the driving force behind the American uh, crime story and American horror story series is, is, uh, is, is also behind the monster series on Netflix. And they have announced that that's going to become a series, not with more Dahmer because obviously that story's in the can, but they're going to be examining other serial killers whose stories they can turn into anthology type ongoing series is, is. And the crazy thing about that is that there has been a somewhat justifiable backlash on the Dahmer series, uh, not necessarily this time for historical accuracy, because with some minor deviations, it was pretty close to what actually happened. Uh, docudrama, sort of uh, simulation, fictionalized version, but still pretty close, um, especially right. from what I remember, having lived here at the time. But um, the backlash is coming from the fact that, and this is kind of valid, I think, that we're sort of glamorizing mass murderers and serial killers to a degree by making series about them. And yes, we're definitely telling their stories from the perspective of this person was a monster, but part of the backlash to the original Dahmer version of the series was a lot of the victims' families said they A, weren't consulted, B, weren't compensated, and C, really didn't care to relive any of this shit because it was so traumatic the first right. time. So the mm -hmm. fact that they're, they're sort of like fueling this weird, macabre appetite that... Americans seem to have to the point where they're making memes about it. Like, the year is, you know, 2035, and when you fire up Netflix, the only two buttons you have available are murder or cake. Uh, <laughs> so... Tea and cake or death! Yeah, cake or death. We go back to the Eddie Izzard thing again. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so they're, they're going to be making a whole series yeah. of series about these serial killers, and people are... They have mixed feelings about it, despite how entertaining the Dahmer one was. Well, with the popularity of things like American Horror Story and things like that, and then, of course, the Ted Bundy, uh, yeah. Zach, was it Zach Efron that was in the yes. Ted Bundy one? Well, yeah. There have been a few, but he's just uh, the most recent, yeah. Right, and so, I mean, they, they've been really, really popular, and I don't know why true crime and murder is so popular. Even for me, when I was a kid, uh, when I was in high school, I was in the library a lot because I'm, I'm a nerd, yep. uh, whatever. You're, whatever you want to say, I, I, I freely admit that I'm a nerd, whatever. But I read a lot of books, because of course this was before the advent of the internet, because I'm just that old, kids, I'm just that old. Yeah. And so, Encyclopedia Britannica, or at the very, what was it, what was the digital one? Expedia, not Expedia, what was the digital encyclopedia? Oh, good lord, I have no idea. When it, when it first came out. Encarta. Encarta, yeah. right, right. And so uh, all of that stuff uh, at the very early edges of the interwebs. But uh, there was a book. My absolute favorite book was called Blood Letters and Bad Men, an Encyclopedic History of Crime. Oh, yeah. I, and I, I read a few of those. It was about a telephone book thick. And it was just an encyclopedia of criminals, A to Z. And you get to read things about, like, John Wayne Gacy and Albert Fish and... And Jeffrey Dahmer and, uh, you know, Billy the Kid and, and all these, like, organized crime and, you know, Joe Bonanno and Sam Giancano and things like that. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it was fascinating reading to me as a kid. And, and I had that book checked out more often than not. And, in fact, uh, I remember it. watch list today. 
<laughs> right. Well, I went to, uh, I, I checked it out so often that it was like basically my book, but I, I ended up giving it back. But uh, on a visit to Colorado at one point, I was reminded of that. And I'm like, oh shit, I wonder. And so I went to like a bookstore. Remember bookstores, kids? I sure do. Uh, I went to a, a bookstore, a Barnes and Noble. And I scoured this bookstore, and I'll be damned, I didn't find a copy. And I bought it right on the spot. It was like 60 bucks. I bought it on the spot. So I have my own version of uh, Blood Letters and Bad Men, an encyclopedic history of crime. And uh, so that's what we did when we didn't have Netflix to watch criminal shit on. Yeah. It was fascinating for me. And I kind of understand the fascination with it now, but... I kind of get what you're saying as well. It's like, first of all, these families don't need to have this brought back up in, in a glorified manner. Uh, these people were not good people. Uh, they're played by fantastic actors, Zac Efron and, and uh, what was this one? Evan, Evan Peters? Peters? Yeah. Yeah. Old Quicksilver himself. And, uh, uh, I mean, we're not citing anything against the actors playing the parts. They're playing them admirably. Uh, from what I've seen of the Dahmer uh, in uh, show in trailers and and little snippets and whatnot, uh, he does a fantastic job. He's creepy as all piss. Oh yeah. But uh, but I get what they're saying about wanting to not glorify these people and and of course, like you said, they're not getting paid for it. They're just getting their names and images and everything drugged through the mud. We have to relive all this stuff again and again and again, and for nothing. Yeah. For for popcorn entertainment on netflix well at the it very least weird. uh there, there's another project that's been in the hopper and in kind of development hell for a very long time um and actually it's based on a book now there's a book that my ex-wife loved it was one of her favorite books it was another serial killer sort of book she read it a bunch and eventually at one point just we'd have something to talk about in common i, I actually read the book ooh, also ooh, i know what it is i know what it is the yeah, bible you are the worst human being i have ever met no that's not the one um, the atheist and the Jew didn't read uh, too much Bible in that house. But the book, well, I mean, even though the Bible is, <laughs> yes, full of mass murder, but that's a topic for another podcast. The book I'm thinking about was a book called Devil in the White City. And it was about one of the first documented serial killers in American history, a guy named H.H. H. Holmes, who was particularly awful, if you really read that book and, and know anything about that dude. Um, it was the, the, uh, the Columbian Exposition, the World's Fair, in the late 1800s in Chicago. And that was when they were just coming out with things like electricity and washing machines. And it was just, the World's Fair was a, uh, a big thing. It, sometimes it ran a year or more in whatever uh, city was selected to host it. And um, in this case, uh, the, the White City portion of the title was, there was an architect who also figures very heavily in the story, who built on a site in Chicago, and some of these buildings are still standing, even though they were, temp they were meant to be temporary 150 years ago, 200 years ago, which should tell you something about, you know, current uh, construction standards, that something thought was they're going to knock <laughs> this down in about a year or two is still standing 200 years later, and current homes are failing inspections, but whatever. But there was this huge white city that was built out of uh, um, plaster and uh, that kind of thing, and it was, it was a full-on city that was built to host a temporary, intended to be temporary, built to host the World's Fair, and during the day it just was this shining city, and at night they lit, they used this brand new thing called electricity to light up the buildings with these colored lights, and apparently it was quite beautiful, and some of the buildings, like I said, are still standing, but um, most of them are not there anymore. But during this exposition, uh, there was a, a killer 
who uh, was a doctor. He had bought a storefront to do some sort of storefront doctoring and also sell some other things. Um, history is kind of muddy, and so was the book about whether or not he was ever an actual doctor, but in those days they didn't really check too hardly. And so uh, <laughs> he set up this storefront to treat people, and he built this... He, he bought Eventually, it was so successful that he overtook a whole city block, and he was able to buy adjacent buildings. And he turned them into a labyrinthine torture chamber murder house full of false staircases oh, and and as uh, you do and cisterns and cesspools and and uh, crematoriums and and he was able to in the years before uh, obviously digital tracking or things like forensic science um, was able to go out and find young women uh, in the area who were in the area for the world's fair uh, lure them back to his place and murder them in incredibly even by today's standards creative disgusting horrible awful and grisly ways and uh, the book sort of splits its attention between the killer and the, the police detective who was trying to track him down once it came to his attention that there were young women disappearing off the streets. But obviously, uh, policing then and forensic uh, practices then weren't what they are now. And um, it's all. been long enough that I remember this. He did get arrested, this H.H. Holmes, this killer. He confessed to a certain amount of, of killings. And they, he confessed to so many, they were never actually able to find enough bodies to match up with all the, the murders he confessed to. But they've been trying to, because it's a particularly juicy story, and was a really popular book, they've been trying to make a movie out of this for, since, you know, I, before I was uh, divorced, and that's been ten years now. Um, and uh, there was a few years before that that the book came out, and she and I both read it. So it's been a while. I remember at one point reading that it was going to be a feature film, and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was attached to it. Not clear whether he was going to be playing the detective or the killer. That never got that far. But um, there apparently is a, a, currently a series that's in development at Hulu, and recently uh, Keanu Reeves was attached to it. And I didn't realize that until I read that he had dropped out because, as a sort of clumsy segue into the next news segment, uh, we are getting a spin-off of John Wick. We're getting a sequel, John Wick 4, because Keanu has very famously said, I'll keep on making these movies as long as you keep on coming to see them, and, and they are excellent. I've seen them all. I enjoy them very much. But they are so popular. I'll keep watching till John Wick 67. I don't care. Yeah, keep, keep making them, dude. I'll keep watching them. But because this movie sure. has created its own sort of like internal universe, they're creating spin-offs now. And there is a spinoff coming called Ballerina. It is going to star yep. Ana de Armas, who was uh, recently uh, uh, the the housekeeper in the original Knives Out movie. That's also getting a sequel, by the way. Um, and played Marilyn Monroe in the Joyce Carol Oates adaptation Blonde that was on Netflix. Uh, she's going to be playing Ballerina, or the Ballerina, in this spinoff. And Keanu Reeves and Ian McShane will both be reprising their roles from the other John Wick movies in this spinoff. So these movies are so popular, they're becoming a franchise. Absolutely. And uh, like you said, Ian McShane coming back to play Winston. Yep. Uh, John Wick played by Keanu Reeves. That's uh, one of the... they got another spinoff still in development, I want to say, called The Continental, which is about the hotel Yeah. in particular. Uh, I'm not sure where in development that's at, but uh, I hadn't read a whole lot about the ballerina. Or ballerina, or whatever it's called. I, I knew that Ana de Armas was attached to it, uh, but that was basically all I knew. Uh, but it's nice to see that Keanu and uh, and Ian McShane are coming back. They're two heavy hitters, and definitely uh, in this universe, they're two of the big characters. So yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm I'm here for it. Like you said, I'll keep watching them. You keep making them, just for sure. And they're, as we, they're uh, fantastic stories, and they're just—I yeah. mean—they're popcorn fare. They're nothing yeah. deep. Yeah, it's—it's it's just 
balls out action, and that's I mean I'm here for it. Yeah, it never it never tries to be anything that it's not. Exactly, it doesn't try to be uh, a deep philosophical take on anything. It doesn't try to be anything more than just an action movies action movie. It knows what it is yeah. and it does it beautifully. And uh, you know, God love Keanu for for keeping up with that. Um, and like you said, yeah, I'll, I'll watch them as, as long as they keep making them. Happy about doing that. And speaking of watching things, as long as they keep making them, there are early reviews rolling in for Wakanda Forever, the latest Marvel blockbuster. Oh. Which at the time uh, you hear this will be out. You've probably seen it already. Uh, it's not out at the time that we record this, but it's dropping this weekend. And um, I personally can't wait to see it because the early reviews, while obviously can't give away much of the story, are saying that in a, a film that kind of has to occupy two different uh, mindsets, uh, it kind of has to serve two different goals, it does both beautifully. And it, they, the reviews are saying that it, as, in terms of being a, uh, a big popcorny Marvel blockbuster that dovetails with a larger universe while still telling its own story, which itself is two goals, it does that beautifully and wonderfully. But it also winds up being an incredibly respectful, uh, yet uplifting memorial for uh, Chadwick Boseman and T'Challa at the same time, which there was no way around that it had to be. Right. But being Ryan right. Coogler apparently has done an amazing job, as he always does, telling the story, but also making sure that it, it's, it's sensitive and compassionate to the memory of both this character and this phenomenal actor, while still telling a story that is worthy of the Marvel Universe, and I, for one, cannot wait to see it. I am absolutely right there with you. I am, I am a little peeved at myself. Uh, I'm a little too broke to go see it uh, this paycheck, but uh, which, uh, of course, uh, it, like you said, it airs this weekend. So I'm a little too brokeny broke to go see it this weekend. Maybe if I uh, scrape a few pence together, I might be able to go check it out. But uh, uh, otherwise, it's going to have to wait till next weekend. So hopefully, you guys on the spoiler uh, boards so be kind. Please be kind. Don't spoil this for other people. Don't spoil any movies for anybody, but particularly the Marvel movies. They just, like I said, they have to dovetail into the larger universe while still telling their own story. So those movies in particular, they just uh, just don't, don't fuck them up for other people. Don't be a dick. Uh, okay, so another interesting thing that crossed the desk here, the old fill your fandom news desk. We, we had... Uh, and this kind of dovetails into the conversation we're going to be having here a little bit, but uh, only only tangentially. But one of the creators of the Oculus Rift headset, Palmer Lucky, has come out and said that he has modified a VR headset so that it will kill the user for real if they die in the game. This is called a provocative art project, according to this article, uh, which was inspired by the anime Sword Art Online, in which players who are trapped in VR die for real if they die in the virtual world. Now, it's fascinating, because I, I, my initial response to seeing this article pop up, I'm like, what the hell? And I sent it to you, and that was pretty much your yeah, response, what too. what the fuck kind of Black Mirror Twilight Zone bullshit is this? There, there's been this idea for a long time in... At least as, as as recent or as early as the '80s, where you know these games are becoming so immersive that uh, the the sci-fi dystopian uh, speculative fiction authors are talking about things like, well, what if it gets to the point where you, if you die in the game, you die in real life? Wow, how how uh, dystopian would that be? Well, apparently it's 2022 level dystopian because 
Yeah, he's calling it an art project and saying that, you know, it's, it's a commentary on exactly that idea that, you know, people are getting so married to technology and, and it's become such an integral part of our lives and, and we, you know, we have all of our phones in our hands every day, we all use the internet every day, that, you know, why can't our gaming be just as visceral and real? And if you strap this thing on and it's, it's apparently a tie-in to, uh, to uh, Sword Art Online, um, the anime series, which itself revolves around a, a multiplayer online VR game, and and the headset is called the Nerve Gear. Uh, players are locked into it like one of those exploding headsets on Running Man, and you can't take it off while you're still online. Uh, and if you it lose, like it's saw. I want to play a game. It kills you. Yeah, and, and again, nobody's suggesting this is going to be a real thing. It's more just a commentary on the nature of technology and our relationship to it, and immersion in video games. But. Um, he's actually created a prototype for this thing. Strap this thing on your head and jump in the game, and if you die in the game, you die in real life. And it just... The fact that it's that sort of thing could even exist, even in a conceptual sense, is just so hard-fucked that I just can't... I can't wrap my <laughs> possibly soon-to-explode brain around it. I, I, a couple of quotes from, uh, from Lucky. He says... Uh, Quote, I used three of the explosive charger modules that I use for a different project, tying them to a narrow band photo sensor that can detect when the screen flashes red of a specific frequency, making game over integration on the part of the developer very easy. When an appropriate game over screen is displayed, the charges fire instantly, destroying the brain of the user. <laughs> Lucky believes the ultimate realism in VR can only come from having such extreme stakes. Quote, the idea of tying your real life to your virtual avatar has always fascinated me. You instantly raise the stakes to the maximum level and force people to fundamentally rethink how they interact with the virtual world and the players inside of it. Pumped up graphics might make a game look more real, but only the threat of serious consequences can make a game feel real to you and every other person in the game. Now, he says, for now, Lucky calls the project a piece of office art but seems interested in pursuing the idea further still, even if he's not ready to wear the thing himself. Quote, This isn't a perfect system, of course. I had plans for an anti-tamper mechanism that, like the nerve gear, will make it impossible to remove or destroy the headset. Even so, there are, huge, are a huge variety of failures that could occur and kill the user at the wrong time. This is, not, this is why I have not worked up the balls to actually use it myself, and also why I am convinced that, like in Sword Art Online, the final triggering should really be tied to a high-intelligence agent that can readily determine if the conditions for termination are actually correct. Jesus. What the fuck, bro? Like, so he's yeah. made it. I, there's a picture of it, and I don't know yeah. that it's necessarily a, a fake image, but it's a, it looks like your standard black VR headset padding on the back and everything, but it's got, like, like unicorn horns, except three, like a triceratops. You got three horns on the top. And I imagine those are the three uh, explosive charges. Yeah, and, uh, and the quote that I saw from him is, uh, the good news is that we are halfway to making a true nerve gear. That's the good news, right? The bad news is that so far, <laughs> I have only figured out the half that kills you. The perfect VR half of the equation is still many years out. So what a statement is that on technology that, well, we can efficiently kill you with reliable uh, accuracy, but, uh, you know, those video game graphics are the part we really work on. But, you know, good news. <laughs> good news, everyone. It's just, it's that shit. And I just can't... Where are we as a society that that's the thing that... I mean, it's, it's one thing for 
a billionaire like a Jeff Bezos or like a uh, uh, an Elon Musk to uh, make a dick-shaped rocket and fuck outer space with it because, uh, you know, that's what they want to do with their money. I guess that's fine. Uh, to, to, to do something that, that benefits only yourself because you want to be space tourists and have the jollies, that's something, I guess. But to pour your money, your resources, your attention, and your uh, research into... In a, your intention. Yeah. Uh, your intention, a VR headset that kills somebody, because you think that will be a fun thing that uh, for that to exist in society. You know, I've made the point before in many other contexts, and now that I've done it here as well, that technology is only as beneficial as the people whose hands it is in. If you figure out how to split the atom, you can power a city or you can level one. So right. we have the ability to create immersive virtual reality environments. Cool. Let's do that. Um, let's do that for entertainment, let's do that for research, let's do it for tourism, there are possibly even medical applications, military applications, whatever, but no, instead let's create a VR headset that if you die in the game, it explodes your brain. What, I, to even think of something like that, to conceive of something like that, um, I, I can't even imagine it, it but then to actually it to put baffling, it together... Yeah. To put it together in real life, and then go ahead and uh, and release a, a press release about it, and then say, well, the good half is we figured out the murder part, but the graphics are still behind. What the fuck is wrong with you, dude? Are you that detached from reality? <laughs> Virtual or otherwise. That's right. But uh, I started, uh, I have the Oculus Quest 2, or I guess you call it the MetaQuest 2 now. Uh, it was given to me by... Uh, friend of the program, Frankie Hortis, and uh, so I, I, I started messing around with it. I took it to work with me, and my intention was to use it to watch Netflix movies while I'm at work uh, without having to hold my phone to my face, and, and uh, I didn't work real well last night because I had to, uh, I just got an update I need to do that uh, didn't want to stream real well. So hopefully, I'm going to take it back tonight and see if I can't uh, watch a little Netflix without my phone but uh it's kind of nice i was sitting there just in like the virtual avatar lobby of the of the meta quest there and it's this like mountaintop retreat and you could hear the wind blowing and you can see clouds in the sky and very beautiful and so i'm sitting in this in this truck for work and i'm seeing what's well, obviously not the truck from work and it's it's almost it was almost relaxing just kind of being able to escape reality just sitting there at work so i don't know i dig that part of it i don't think i want it to kill me because i've died in these games a lot <laughs> yeah you you, you you flick your wrist the wrong way and all of a sudden you die because of it that seems unhealthy uh but uh, yeah i don't get that part of it I'm, I'm a big fan of vr but i think that's taking it just a little too jigsawy yeah. Making it just a little too crazy. I mean, but, if you're going to uh, sit there and sell it as a virtual reality experience, but say, hey, yeah, you actually could die in real life, that, that kind of, that crosses that's the That's just reality. Yeah, at that that's point, we're, you know, that point. we're all going to die, so, you know, I guess I don't want to necessarily hasten that prospect if I can help it, especially not while I'm ostensibly engaged in something like entertainment. Uh, that reminds me of, you ever watch, you watch Rick and Morty? Um, I have a complicated relationship with it, just based on my complicated relationship with one of its creators, but I definitely have seen oh, quite yeah. a bit of it. I haven't seen the most recent season, but, um, well, that and the fact that, uh, Rick and Morty is always one of the first examples anyone brings up when we talk about toxic fandom, because the show is good, the show is very smart, but, um, 
you know, it doesn't mean that you're smarter than anybody else and, and can try and lord that over them if you're somebody who watches it and has to pick up the references. But, you know, yeah, uh, as a long-winded, uh, overwrought answer to an, it's a very simple question, I have seen quite a bit of Rick and Morty, yes. <laughs> there's, a, there's a virtual reality game that they play in Rick and Morty. It's called Roy, A Life Well Lived. And uh, it oh, basically yeah. the job yeah. is to, to be Roy and, and from birth to death. And, Warm and the, the game tomb, baby. judges you based basis on how you live your life on how well you do and uh, they actually had an episode recently where the safety protocols were turned off and so you die in the game you die in your life that's kind of like they, they do that in star trek all the time too with the holodeck it's like they have these things called safety protocols you turn the safety protocols off a, a virtual bullet can kill you you know which you know there's been several jokes about on like uh lower decks to the tune of uh why would you ever turn these off? You know, I, I don't get it. So, well, it's weird I, I mean, that this is a concept that existed only until recently in sort of like speculative fiction, whether it's utopian or post-apocalyptic, as being like an extreme thing that nobody could possibly want. And why would you do that? And yes, it exists, but why in the fuck would anyone actually employ it? <laughs> oh, well, let's just go ahead and actually build a thing that kills you if you die in a video game. I, I can't I can't rationalize. I can't. What, what's the bad side here? What's the down? I can't see it down. Yeah. Well, I guess All if you're right, dumb, okay. I suppose if you're dumb enough to actually uh, do that on purpose to engage in that, then that's maybe Darwinism at work. If you die, you die. You know, if you're dumb enough to opt into that, then I suppose you're not. You know, nothing of value is lost if you decide to, uh, or if it, or if it takes you out. Treat it like the suicide boots in Futurama. Yeah, sure. Well, that kind of leads us a little bit tangentially, like I said, into. Uh, kind of the, the mini topic we wanted to talk about today and that's uh social media yeah and uh, the direction social media has taken in the last shit as we record this the last week and a half two weeks but in general the way it's been going for the last like four or five years social media used to be this grand experiment where we could go online interact with people maybe interact with our friends interact with people we don't know make new friends and, you know, interact with people who we, sh we share their beliefs, interact with people who share their passions, their hobbies, much like this podcast. You're able to reach uh, a wider base of people than you normally would be able to reach. The, hence the social in social media. Mm -hmm. But lately it has become kind of a cesspool. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'm not trying to be dramatic when I say it like that, but... If you've uh, lived through the last 10 years of elections and election cycles and news cycles and did take our jabs and he closed the borders and, 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 and COVID and anti-vaxxing and uh, political division and uh, <laughs> QAnon and yeah. MAGA and Trumpism and all the different things that are, you know, currently uh, eating away at the fabric of society. Yeah, I mean... That's kind of the down, the downward slope of, uh, of social media. And, of course, uh, up until very recently, we had uh, a couple of people who were only tangentially involved. Elon Musk was one of the people. And uh, Elon Musk, had, for a long point, I just kind of equated him to Hank Scorpio from The Simpsons. Yeah. Uh, a, just kind of a philanthropic ne'er-do-well who just liked to fuck around and find out. And, uh, like, oh, he builds crazy electric cars, and, oh, isn't it funny that he broke the, the windshield on a 
to Cybertruck when he wasn't supposed to. Yeah, it's supposed to be bulletproof. And he broke it. Haha, <laughs> what a joke. And, you know, oh, he's building a, a Hyperloop tunnel under the ocean for one-way directional traffic. Ah, oh, what a joker. Oh, he's building a dick-shaped rocket to go fuck space, as previously discussed. <laughs> but that was all relatively, I don't want to say harmless, but... At least benign. You're, you're able to kind of shunt him off to the side going, okay, he's got too much money, he's going to throw a bunch at the wall and see what sticks. Fuck it, whatever, I salute this guy, whatever. Flamed I'm not entirely whatever, certain that if I had enough money to be able to do the things Elon Musk does, that I wouldn't at least play around with trying to, <laughs> to you know, well, well let's, let's pour some money into this and see if it goes. Ah, well, no, it didn't, lost a couple billion, whatever, it's a drop in the bucket for my net worth, I'll just keep on going. I can't honestly say that if I had that filthy lucre, I would not, I wouldn't do... I don't know, I'd probably be a little bit more philanthropic with it, maybe a little more um, just generous with with different causes, and I I would not spend it, but still, I mean, you can't really blame the dude for thinking, well, I have all this money, let's see if we can't make some toys with it, cool, whatever, I'd probably do the same thing to a degree. So he decided to take $44 billion and buy Twitter, Mm. and that looked, it looked for a while that that wasn't going to go, like, he changed his mind, and... Then they threatened to sue him if he didn't, which they should have. Uh-huh. Uh, but so he bought Twitter. Uh, as of recording, it's been what a week and a half, two weeks now, something like that. Yeah. And uh, to and say the, the least, it's, it's not going well for anyone—not the users, not the staff, and certainly not for Old Muskie himself. Because we talked about that, like, he started this idea that oh, it's going to charge uh, eight dollar fee per month for the blue verification check mark, which you know met with. Just an alarming amount of backlash, and and rightfully so, because yeah. it's ba- so you're basically making it uh, a pay-to-play game now. Yeah, the blue check mark and, used to be something like uh, I, I kind of likened it in a ironically a tweet to video game stuff. Oh, sure, you can grind away and you can earn that sword, or you can just give us eight bucks a month and you can use the sword. Um, but in doing right. that, what it did, the, the, the entire purpose of the check mark to begin with was that if you were a public figure or a person of prominence or somebody who had influence in society, you could apply for and receive the check mark. And if you were a journalist or an author or a comedian or a politician, the blue check mark was a user's guarantee that that person was who they said that they were so that nobody else could set up a, a an undesignated parody account and claim to tweet for a public figure and potentially damage their reputation, put words in their mouth, create public (laughs) panic, what have you. So Elon Musk, in his infinite fucking wisdom, decided what he was going to do is, now let's just remove any sort of verifications that that the person with the blue checkmark is who they purport to be, and instead we'll just sell it. Which, I don't know what I expected from a billionaire whose entire life is profit-motivated, if something doesn't make money, it's not worth doing. But it completely defeats the purpose of the blue check mark and turns it from you can trust what this person says and who they are, or maybe not trust what they say, but you can at least trust it's coming from a verifiable source to this is going to be a free for all, and anybody who's got the money to buy the check mark can be anybody they want to online. And boy, is that what happened. Right, and he's had to. Mr. Absolute. Free speech absolutist. Free speech absolutist, that's right. He wanted to say that, you know, that's anything can go on on Twitter because we're free speech absoluteness and, and and that got rescinded rather quickly when a lot of celebrities and, and quasi-celebrities decided to change their screen names to Elon Musk blue check mark and all mm-hmm. and, uh, and and start spoofing him and so he had to uh, go out and say oh, well if you're a 
undesignated parody account, you will be banned. And so much for that. That went out the window rather quickly. Yeah, because so many um, of them that even designated themselves as parody accounts were still, uh, you know, they still have the blue check mark, uh, and they still got banned. And and some of those people were, um, at this point, I'm not really sure. Um, Valerie Bertinelli, I know for a while was 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 speaking as Elon Musk. I'm not sure what the status of her account is, but um, web comics, Kathy Griffin, and webcomic author um, Jeff Jock, or I'm saying that wrong because mm-hmm. it's two J's, Jeff Jock. Who writes and draws the one of my favorite web comics, uh, questionable content? Um, I love that one. He had something like a hundred thousand followers, and uh, he he changed his display name to Elon Musk and started tweeting as Elon Musk. And some of the shit he was saying was hilarious. All pretty, I don't have them in front of me, but they all pretty much centered on the the concept of, um, oh no, I've made a horrible mistake. I've opened a can of worms that I had no idea about the consequences of and could not have anticipated the Pandora's boxes would become. And uh, I, I'm I'm so overwhelmed by this and, and, and content moderation and all this. But yeah, the upshot of that is that um, there's so much tumult and so much uncertainty happening over at Twitter. He laid off or fired half the staff of Twitter, including most of the content management team and the head of trust and safety, which uh, an old friend of ours used to have that job, but the new person that right. replaced her um, got, uh, got shit canned for it. And so he's, uh, he's, he's in way over his head. Um, apparently, like I think we mentioned this before, instances of the N-word happening on Twitter leapt 500% the day that Elon Musk took over. So it's just turned into an absolute dumpster fire over there, and nobody seems to be able to do anything about it. And anybody that could is somebody who got fired. You and I both saw anybody TikTok. Anybody been fired, yeah. Yeah, both saw TikTok. And the way, the way he's getting people, are, he's firing people, is just... Exactly the way you'd expect a, a fucking heartless billionaire who's uh, who just has no empathy to fire people. Uh, you right. and I both watched a TikTok. It came up on both of our uh, our, our feeds where there was a guy who was an engineer for Twitter. Uh, he worked for them for five years. And I, I don't have his handle in front of me. I, I apologize for that. But he said that he was partially at least responsible for creating the algorithm that lets you see Elon Musk's tweets first when you open the feed. So he figured, my job might be safe. But he said, nope, I got caught up in the layoffs. But here's the thing. It's not just that I'm out of a job. It's the way that I was fired that was the thing that I have a problem with. He printed out an email and held it up to the camera. And it was from, he said, Twitter's new head of HR or whoever this person is. I don't know. I've never interacted with her before now. But she sent out a message, uh, not just saying that you don't have a job anymore, but it was in the form of a meme. We've all seen the sort of meme of Tom Cruise with uh, many different different sized laughing faces um, with some text superimposed over top of it. Somebody made a version of that for Elon where he's laughing in several different contexts. And this meme that was sent to this five-year deep engineer at Twitter was... <laughs> time to leave the nest. You're fired with Elon laughing in the background. And yeah. he said he has conferred with some other former now co-workers and they all said that they received the same shitty heartless meme after working at Twitter for a period of years that uh, they got fired not just by email, but by meme mail, which boy, if there's a, another black mirror statement on society that's, uh, that's more egregious, I think the exploding headset might be the only one. <laughs> but that's not the only thing TikTok to try and find this guy uh, yeah and that's not even the only one we're here to talk about today I mean we could no. certainly spend a lot of time picking on Elon Musk and we will oh yes and we do absolutely but oh here it is I found it right here okay uh, Matt X Shaver yeah that's the one M-A-T-T-X Shaver S-H-A-V-E-R uh, and uh, he's got 1.1 million likes on this thing 
and 74.1 thousand shares but uh, yeah Matt Shaver was uh, the fired by Twitter guy so go check it out on uh, TikTok uh, and uh, you'll see what we're talking about but this isn't even the only one I mean like I said we could spend all this time picking on Elon Musk and we plan to yeah uh, because he deserves it <laughs> but as of today as of recording today it's reported that uh, Meta, parent company to Facebook, is looking to lay off around 11,000 employees today. Oh, wow. And it's just, I don't understand how something like this can happen. How, how these, I mean, I know they're losing money hand over fist. But they always have. They fig- well, right, it's supposed to be... This isn't supposed to be something that you do for gain. I mean, they get enough money through uh, advertising revenue and things like that, but uh, social media at its core shouldn't be about financial gain. And I know Mark Zuckerfuck makes a lot of money doing this. Not as much as he used to. Nope. Evidently. But uh, to a degree, I sort of view social media as being almost a service, almost a utility. Not necessarily mm-hmm. a going concern that earns money, but... It's kind of like when you hear about any naysayers who are bitching about the post office. They say, well, the post office loses so many billion dollars a year. Well, the post office is a government service. It's not a business. It's not necessarily something that, that needs... It, breaking even is nice. It does take in you know, some revenue for things like stamps and all that, and they got to pay their people, obviously. But nobody says the military loses $43 billion a year. It's a service. It's a government service. And so for anybody to contextualize it like it needs to meet the same benchmarks as private enterprise, I think that's just disingenuous. I don't really agree with it. So to a degree, we all use social media every day. And I'm not saying that people who work there don't deserve to get paid. I'm not saying the proprietors and, and, and people who run these things don't deserve to make a living. But and then I'm also aware there's gotta, of the fact There's got to be a better way. There's yeah. got to be a better way. Well, I'm also aware of the fact that anything that you get for free means that you're the product. Um, they make money on advertising. And if they're not able to advertise to people, then they're not going to make any money because they make, you know, I, I even, and again, I, I kind of have been in the belly of the beast on this. I daily write Facebook advertising and certain formats of advertising that show up on Facebook are called CPC, which is short for cost per click. So as an advertiser, you advertise on Facebook, Facebook makes money when you pay for it, and then you make money if people click on your ad. It's, it's a, a giant Ouroboros of uh, self-sustaining revenue exchange, but yeah, um, they need to make that money. But like, I, I actually, we, 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 you and I know somebody who used to work for Twitter who would have gotten caught up in all this and probably would have been marched out the door had she not had the foresight to bail and become a consultant last year. I also personally know somebody who works at Meta. Um, My previous supervisor at my current job left in the spring and went over to Meta to uh, to work for them in the same capacity that he worked for my old company. I need to reach out to him to make sure that he's not getting caught up in this layoff because, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just a lot of people. And for a company that's that huge, that global, that's that... I mean, I'm not saying I'm a financial genius. God knows I'm not. But for a company that huge... That's been a going concern for that long. That both serves and employs that many people. For them to uh, to be announcing a layoff in the over of over ten thousand people in their operations, I just can't I, I I can't wrap my brain around how weird things must be and how badly mismanaged they must be and how 
for a company of that size that that we're talking about billions and billions of dollars of revenue swirling around in different channels and and, and different uh, avenues, how do things go so wrong? I just don't understand how that happens. Yeah, and and so a lot of people are bailing on uh, Twitter in general. Uh, a lot of people have already bailed on Facebook. I mean, yeah. Facebook is like. I want to say like 75% of what it used to be. Half of my, I had a lot of friends bail on Facebook. It's not a wasteland yet, but it's approaching wasteland status pretty quickly. And um, the, sad, the sad thing is they jumped out for, for Twitter, places like Twitter, and now yeah. Twitter doing what it's doing. Uh, we've got a few alternatives popping up, but they're not really... They're kind of nascent in their form so far. So Yeah, Mastodon is one people are talking about a lot, and I have some friends who've jumped ship and gone over there in lieu of Twitter... And um, I tried to use it, and it's got a confusing interface. When you sign up for an account, it makes you join like a node or a server, and I can't find one that works or that is relevant to what I want to use it for, so I'm going to have to explore that a little more. But it's just a weird time for social media. And as a, as a sort of a third offshoot, the aforementioned TikTok that you and I have both discovered as being a huge time waster. I've, I've put out a couple of TikTok videos that have gotten a little bit of response from people that follow me that are friends and whatnot, but I'm not a TikTok creator. I've done fewer than a dozen videos, but I, I consume a lot of TikTok. Mostly, let's be frank, on the toilet when nothing else is going on, and you can consume <laughs> uh, entertainment in one to three minute increments, and it's just fine. But... The government has also really come down on TikTok quite a bit. There's There's been persistent rumors for a couple of years now that TikTok's going to get shut down. For a brief time, it was even pulled from the Apple uh, store, uh, App Store and, and the Google Play yeah, Store as, as being potentially malware. And, and the reasons for that depends on who you ask. Um, if you ask Republicans, it's because... Oh, it's a it's a Chinese-owned app, which is true, and the potential for them to um, write algorithms that prioritize certain kinds of information over another. They don't have a problem with that kind of shit when it happens on OAN or Fox News or the Breitbart Report or Grudge. Uh, Drudge, whatever the fuck this guy calls himself. Um, when it serves their purposes, they don't mind being uh, misinformation trafficking propagandists. But uh, when something might get out, because if you ask anybody who is on the right side of history, um, I have come to understand that while TikTok is fine for entertainment, you'll get people doing stupid dances, you get people doing little sketches and whatnot, um, my algorithm has, especially because you've been leading up to the midterms for a little while here, started to prioritize news, and people who are creators who are focusing on developments in politics are the kind of people that I see most right. on my TikTok now. And I Opinion have to say, pieces and things like that. Yeah. What's interesting about that, and a reason why I think Republicans are, are casting a gimlet eye towards maybe shutting down TikTok, is because there's a huge creator base on TikTok that creates um, videos that are news-based. Uh, and some of these are pretty big. Under the Desk News is this gal who uh, has a little bit of a gimmick where she kind of lies underneath her desk and holds her phone in front of her face. And her opening line is, here's what happened. And she talks about news developments. And she's usually three or four days ahead of when I actually see them show up on what are called mainstream news sources. And she's gained such legitimacy that one of her recent uh, leading up to the midterms TikToks featured Barack Obama. I mean, these are not small concerns. These are people who get information out that turns out to be accurate and actionable. In many cases. So that's why I have the, the suspicion. That's why Republicans are looking to shut it down. Because it's a huge subculture that people are using to disseminate information that runs counter to their propaganda campaigns. The things they want people to focus on. 
um, by people out there with a, a, an absolute immediate response social media platform that they can feed to their, their followers and viewers and get information out. So it's just sticky as shit. The whole thing is bizarre and weird, and I'm not really sure where it's going to go. But the state of social media right now, uh, if, if you could boil it down to a, a single word, it's tenuous. It's just, it's shaky. I'm not really yeah. sure where things are going to go. Uh, in, in, a, in a medium, in a platform that depends on user engagement, when people start to kind of either stop engaging with it or using it in ways the creators didn't intend or taking things in directions that are either problematic or too close to the truth, it's really difficult to know where things are going to go and why they're going to go there. See, that's where I think we need to get Palmer Lucky involved, the <laughs> Oculus guy. We need, we need to get him to uh, invent a way to... Uh, when you just when you tweet something that's so utter garbage that you know remember that old phrase stupidity should be painful yeah uh, when, whenever you tweet something that's utterly repugnant lies and garbage your phone should explode yeah nothing horrible like you can get a new phone whatever but there should be a punishment you know I don't know I don't that whole stupidity should be painful thing I think uh, to a certain degree it was during COVID. Not that I want to uh, speak ill of anybody who died from it or is suffering any long-term effects, but, you know, at the same time, if you don't get vaccinated, I'm not really sure what we can do for you. But nevertheless... Certainly I some mean, of the some of the fuck-around crowd did turn into the find-out crowd, that's for oh, sure. Yeah. And as uh, as I saw in a meme the other day, and as, uh, as Steph is fond of, uh, of saying these days, it's uh, the dildo of consequences rarely arrives lubed. <laughs> Yucky... But speaking Yucky. of that, I kind of want to put a button on this Speaking thing by, of the dildo of consequences. Yeah, well, I kind of want to put a button on this by talking about something that is germane to the topic, but not necessarily related to it. Um, I recently read an interview with the uh, the developer of a game that's come out on uh, both PlayStation 5 and Xbox. Um, it's on Game Pass, which is why I grabbed it, and it's a game called Scorn. It's gotten some attention because it's got an incredibly interesting approach to storytelling, as well as a very distinctive-looking art style and interface. Now, if you have at all paid attention to the works of H.R. Geiger as a, a painter or as a creator, very heavily influenced like the, uh, the Xenomorphs and Alien, the man's got an incredibly distinctive and really gory, hellish art style, but it's, it's his own. And this game is, is basically a 3D H.R. Geiger simulator. Um, which, depending cool. on how you feel about his artwork, could be either fucking horrifying or I definitely have to play this. Um, I've been playing it. The approach to storytelling is interesting. Yeah. Because it just, it, it, it throws you in without any narrative, no voiceover, no dialogue, no words on the screen, no HUD display, no context. And you kind of have to figure shit out for yourself. And you're sort of this skinless homunculus that exists in this horrifying hellscape strewn with entrails, spinal columns, and bleeding walls, and just columns of shit-streaked things that look like you're walking now, around inside of a now now rectum. now we said we weren't going to talk anymore about elon musk so don't hey talk yo. about the skinny homunculus Badum tish but the game is interesting because how it asks you to interface with the world is is bizarre but i read an interview with one of the devs i think the the creative director or the or the, the, the head of development who said that it was intended as a kind of a statement and an allegory with how we interface with technology. The game itself, obviously, is humans interfacing with technology, but the way that you sort of like interact with this very fleshy, moist world full of orifices and body parts and 
and just bones and gore and shit. It's just, it's bizarre and strange and unsettling. But it's a statement on how we interact with technology and how technology has kind of become ingrained with biology in a way that nobody could have anticipated and probably wasn't intended. But it's kind of a statement on that. And so that's what got me thinking about when we were talking about this today, just the sort of integration with humans and technology in a way that is in many ways problematic and in other ways absolutely essential. And it kind of goes back to what I said before about technology is only as good as the person's hands it's in. If you can split an atom, you can level a city, you can power one. Um, you know, if you have a, a, a computer in your house, you can use it to solicit sex for minors, or you can fight people who solicit sex for minors, like we did. Um, it, it, intention matters so much in human interactions, in how we interact with yeah. technology, and it, it comes to, to pass and comes to play when you're talking about how people interact with social media. Uh, during the elections last time around, during uh, the, you know, the, the 2020 elections, and to some degree even the 2016 elections, there was so much misinformation, so many bots, so many bad actors polluting these platforms with with information intended to divide and to sow discord and to promote disarray and just disrupt things. And some of that was traced back to Russian bots who were very much in Trump's corner, who were trying to, uh, to, to smear and besmirch uh, figures on the left. Um, and what I find interesting about that is that the midterms that we just had yesterday that are still somewhat up in the air and being settled, um, there wasn't as much of that misinformation now. It's almost like the person that would have been responsible for ordering all that misinformation was engaged in some kind of European land war somewhere <laughs> and had other priorities and was preoccupied. So as Maybe. much as those things were a factor in previous elections, I didn't hear. It's possible that there was some of that going on, but it wasn't something that I heard so much was a factor in in, uh, in sowing discord and disinformation this time around. So, again, it's just so strange. Anything... Any technology, you, you can, if you have a butcher knife, you can uh, carve up your Thanksgiving turkey and serve your family, or you can murder a drifter. It just depends. Tools are only as good as the people that use them. And so I've been doing a lot of examination, a lot of introspection, trying to figure out what my relationship with social media is. I don't really Facebook as much, unless i got something to promote, whether I'm talking about a new episode of the Feel Your Fandom podcast, or a show that my band has coming up, or if a friend of mine needs a signal boost on something they're trying to get out, I will do that. Um, but for the most part, I'm... I'm I used to be an, a, a heavy user of social media. I was posting on Facebook and, you know, nine, ten status updates a day, reposting articles, talking to friends. Now I just sort of like if I pop it open at all, I just kind of doom scroll. I don't, I don't interact as much. I certainly don't post as much. Um, right. I don't think now that it's a part of the fabric of the human experience and the technological landscape, I don't think social media will ever go away. But I think it's definitely in a period of backswing. The pendulum is kind of moving back in the other direction to where people are sort of reevaluating their relationships to it. I know I am, and I think it's going to take different forms in the future. I think it kind of, out of necessity, has to. We'll see what happens with it, but we're definitely in a wane period of a wax and wane sort of cycle when it comes to how people interact with this stuff, and I think it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Absolutely. Uh, well, let us know what you guys think. Uh, where do you guys stand on the whole social media platform thing? Do you use it a lot? Uh, is it something that you depend on day to day? Or is it something you could take or leave? I mean, because like Jim says, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm kind of in the process of trying to figure out my relationship with it as well. Um, and certainly as, as a business concern, as, as revolves around the Peely Brandon podcast, it's something that is always a topic of conversation. So let us know how you uh, interact and receive your social media and whether or not that's uh, viable in the long term if you think that so 
uh, for now, uh, hit us up on Facebook, <laughs> our social media. I always think it's weird. We're talking about social media, and then we're going to throw out our credentials here at the end. Yeah. But, a little uh, cognitive disconnect, but I mean, uh, you know, look, things things being what they are, it's it's a necessary yeah, evil. It is I guess. what it is. Yeah, hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom. Throw us an email at gmail, uh, fuel your fandom at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up at fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. That's the backup email address. You can send us show suggestions there. You can also uh, suggest uh, guests, especially if they're yourself. We definitely want to get some more folks on here to uh, to talk about inter- interesting geek things. Um, you can also, uh, for the time being at least, find us on Instagram, which is also a meta product, total disclosure, at at Fuel Your Fandom. And for now at least, we're also still on Twitter at Fuel underscore Your and uh, as Saint mentioned earlier in the podcast, we are always taking donations for the Fuel the Future program that gets comics into the hands of underprivileged kids. And any revenue we earn for ourselves from our partnership with the fine folks at Exter, E-K-S-T-E-R, Exter.com, 10% off of promo code Fuel Your Fandom will go towards the Fuel the Future program to get comics into the hands Absolutely. of underprivileged kids. So wherever yes. you find us uh, on the interwebs, uh, at iHeartRadio, at Audible, at Spotify, at Google Podcasts, at Apple Podcasts, at Stitcher, wherever you find us, we are happy you find us and we hope you continue to find us and spend a little time with us every week. Absolutely. So uh, from Jim and I, we want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom podcast. Just five more to go in this season four. We're on the downward spiral now. Crazy. It only gets worse from here. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's going to get better and better. we got a couple of guests lined up that are going to be badass. Uh, But from us uh, to you, we want to thank you again. And please do remember, everything is fandom. And fandom is everything. Take care.